at what point do we give ourselves the permission and the grace to, hey, just stop judging ourselves and B, stop caring about other people judging us for what we put out in the world? magic makers. I have such a special conversation for you today. Really, my heart is cracked open. I am thrilled to introduce you to my friend, Christina, or C. Tapasio. She very graciously came on to talk with me about not just having courage to go out on your own and forge a path that perhaps might not be traditional when it comes to career, but also the role of, (laughs) this is really, I should put a content advisory here. In this episode, we're really getting into mental health um, in a very deep, very real, uh, very vulnerable way. We speak about depression, anxiety, dark nights of the soul, um, even some suicide ideation. So again, content advisory. I really hope you stick with us for this conversation though, because it's about so much more than that. But I really want to have a tender heart for my fellow magic makers who are softer and squishier and more intuitive and feel things deeply. It is not easy to forge a path in a society where making a lot of money is put kind of over everything as a marker of success. When for some of us in certain seasons, getting out of bed, taking a shower and putting on clothes is the marker of success that we need to measure ourselves by. So this is for you if mental health is something that you have struggled with, if feeling like you don't fit is something that you've struggled with. Um, We speak a little bit about finding new identities later in life, sexual orientation, gender identities, like things as we grow and as we learn more about ourselves It can be scary. It can feel confusing, but the brave thing is to just keep asking questions and to keep walking the path that you alone can forge for yourself. Gosh, I am so, so, so honored to be able to welcome C. Tapasio to Find Your Magic. Well, this has been an interview that is a long time coming, and yet I feel like I'm getting to know you all over again for the first time. So thanks for being here, C. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. I feel like this is one, yes, a long time coming, and thank God it's here because I'm just excited to be in your presence and and hear what you're up to, too. Thank you. Well, I have been, this is one of those situations where like, You know, when you are following somebody for a long time and you feel like you're really good friends with them because Mm -hmm. you just see all of the things that are happening in their life, but you in particular, and I love that you also teach this through Jig Plus Saw, you are so good at creating a vibe, but also being extremely authentic with what Mm -hmm. you're sharing. 
Like I was just before this interview was watching a compilation video of your 2022 and it's like such happy moments. And then you're sobbing. And then there's like you with friends and then you by yourself with self-care moment. And I just love, I love that as an example of what's possible for being this creative person who wants to express themselves in an artistic, beautiful way. It's like artistic and authentic the intersection of that. I feel like that is you. Mm. Wow. That's a huge compliment (laughs) to be seen that way. So let's talk about that a bit of how, Mm -hmm. because you've been a content creator since, you know, land before time. So talk a bit about how it feels like. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Talk a bit about you're being one of the OGs and how that all started. Yeah. You know, what's so funny. Yeah. I would totally, you know, put myself in that category of being kind of the the first adopters of content creation when it really was just for blogger. Yeah. Um, and that was like our world. But what was funny is at that time, I just, it was so afraid to take myself seriously because I didn't want mm-hmm. people to judge if I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blogger. Like I, I, I know exactly. I'm so afraid of that judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So it, I think, yeah, I started out early on. I think I had my first blog was in 2006, right after high school. Wow, it was like my first year of college, and I was on TypePad at the time. So shout out to anybody who remembers that. Um, <laughs> but also, like, and back in the day, I was on Xanga, right? So my it was any way I can express myself for, through internet connection, like that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. Then the Profresh style, which was the original blog concept that happened in 2008, and that's when I really took it seriously by like paying a photographer to take pictures and doing full full essays and things of that nature, which got me my first job in social media. Um, but it was still one of those things where like, I'm going to have the job because that creates more validity for me to be in this space than to stand mm-hmm. on my own as a content creator. And I bet there, I know that there are so many people listening now. What God, geez, 15 years <laughs> later, what, I is can't. Time? what is time, um, who feel the exact same way of yeah. like, at what point do we give ourselves the permission and the grace to hey, just stop judging ourselves and be yeah. stop caring about other people judging us for what we put out in the world? Mm-hmm. I think it holds so many people back who are who do want, as you said, like authentic connection through the internet and authentic mm-hmm. expression through the internet. I all the time talk about content creation and digital media is an art form. Like it's, it's just like paint. It's just like anything that you would consider going to a museum to see your phone is a museum that you see every day of people's art, people's work. So how, so when you were starting out blogging pro fresh style, it was kind of in the fashion space, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And then you got that job in social. How did you crystallize your voice? Like what Mm. you wanted to talk Mm. about? Yeah. (laughs) 
amongst my peers, there was a bunch of us that started together in San Francisco and their primary focus was fashion, trend, style, those aspects. Dabbled in lifestyle, certainly, but it was more focused on fashion. My, I really liked to write. That was kind of my my jam. That's what I wanted to do. And then eventually started the YouTube channel at the same time. And really it was because it started in this like root of like wanting connection, whereas my peers, maybe not necessarily were looking for that, but was looking for like my individuals who understood and loved fashion the same way that we all collectively did. I just wanted a little bit more. And so that's really what created this writing desire. And that I think, I think to this day, I'm still trying to navigate what that looks like for me and the self-expression of, but yeah, I think the 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 idea that I could find my lane happened, I think, when I moved to New York and uh, being plopped into, because I had gone to Fashion Week the year prior for work. Mm. I was like, I'm moving here and I'm going to yeah. do it. And I'm just going to, you know, same, like, same, 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 right? Except it was right? later. Like, yep. <laughs> we were just so convinced. And I think that that's great. That's great about like ambitious um, people is that we just go and do in hopes it works out. And inevitably it does in some ways. Mm, yes. And Oh, I love that. I, right. And I think that, so I landed there, no job, no apartment. And because of that, I started just telling that story online and I realized I had a voice and the comment section was really about the relatability of what I talked about. And in fact, and this is probably great because I'm maybe out of India at this point, but <laughs> I started calling out agencies for some of their practices. Um, mm. And particularly one where I decided to just voice my opinion, not even just call out for facts. It was just my perspective on casting and how they were treating influencers and really like the value of what this person holds, whether it's yeah. their racial makeup, their just their identity makeup, but then what that gets casted as. And I'm sure as you understand as being an actor, what that field and looks like. So what year what do, year was this? This was 2010. Yeah. So early. Um, this is pre a early. lot of the movement that and there's still so, so far to go. Oh my god. But I want people to think about what the world was like in 2010. <laughs> And especially, and there, mm -hmm. go ahead. <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot of influencer agencies at the time. So there were, right. I think, three that were pretty prominent in New York. And I just happened to call out one who we were being courted. Like that was like, because you get, you would get courted and then there would be this like faux sign that never really happens, but mm -hmm. then you just get, and then you get the official sign. So that was where my journey was. And I wasn't afraid to call out despite being courted. I felt like- Good. It's important to stand on my... Anyway, long story short, I got blacklisted from all agencies and all agency brand partners. For calling and, out yeah. these practices. Wow. And it wasn't directly that they told me that. It was somebody who was one of their account executives. I was like, hey, what's going on with this? And I'm like, well, yeah, you called them out. You got blacklisted. This is a lesson you need to learn. And I did learn oh, from I that. Yeah. Sticky, gross. Sticky. But... This, this is a lesson you need to learn. This is just the way uh -huh. that it is. Be the good yeah. girl. Be compliant. Yes. Yeah. You know, shut if up and take deal, a seat. Uh -huh. Yes. God, uh -huh. that makes that makes me very yeah. angry. <laughs> right? Especially because you're trying to like to build trust with community is to be open and to share your perspective. And that's what I valued more than valuing brand deals and having an agent. Yes. Um, 
And so that kind of started this journey of full transparency and what I really felt about things. And, mm. and it was call out culture before it was call out culture. Yeah. Like I did, I'm sure these YouTube videos still exist now where I was, you know, calling out fashion week and how fashion week was perpetuated. And so I was getting myself in trouble a little bit by you utilizing my voice as this like way to create transparency with the audience. Mm, trouble is relative, right? It's exactly who, who was it that <laughs> talked about getting into good trouble? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh my gosh. I should know this. I'm coming up blank. I know that he worked in government. It's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but I know it's, it's about getting into good trouble. I can see his face. Incredible black man. Um, Oh, that's going to drive me nuts. Anyway, that will be in the show notes. I apologize for not knowing that um, off the top of my head. But is it it's Corey? A, it might be. It might be. <laughs> well, show notes it is. Show notes it is. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. Um, but you know the you know the quote. You know the idea yeah. of like mm-hmm. get into good trouble, right? Get into trouble, quote unquote, for good reason to move the world forward. Um, so I think you were getting in some good trouble with those. <laughs> well, and also <laughs> the irony there is brands, whomever, if your goal is to get people to trust you enough to connect with you and eventually buy from you, funny story, <laughs> being authentic and making them feel seen is the best way to do that. So they were very much shooting themselves in the foot at that, uh, with that type of way of showing up in the world and the marketplace. So you're in New York, you're blogging, you're doing YouTube videos, you have this authentic voice, but when I met you, you were Mm -hmm. in LA. So what brought you from New York to LA and how did that all transpire? Yeah. So I was, I was a social media manager and strategist at an agency at the time. They're opening up a West coast office I felt my time in New York was ending. It was like three years investment. Mm-hmm. Is this for me? Perhaps not. My mental health was on a mega decline. Um, and so I think it was just time to come back. So I, I moved here for the West Coast office and ended up actually getting laid off subsequent, like maybe two months after. Um, oh, which so fun when that happens. Which we know what that feels like, right? So, we do. Next story, we'll get this, there like, in a second, y'all. Right? <laughs> And I think it just kind of became this, okay, what are we going to do now? And and anytime this happens, like, oh, go full in on yourself, like fully invest, like you, it's you, it's your story. Like, what are you going to do to honor yourself? Well, that lasted like five seconds because I was like, oh, we need a job. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. So, right. So, oh, and that, that's kind of what started my um, LA career. I started working at an agency, which inevitably purchased a beauty conference. And then I became director of marketing there. And that kind of set forth this path that I went on, which I opened up Jigsaw, which is kind of why we're here today to talk about, yes. which is my company that I opened in 2015 after leaving another company. And then had my first year and said, oh, we have to, we have to afford this. That's right. So, <laughs> and then I took a job year two in and that's how we met. Yes. Yes. So Christina and I met at a job that was honestly, like when it came across my world, when it crossed my path, I was like, this seems too good to be true. Like this is a unicorn job. And what it was, you guys, was it was for me, it was with a DIY website 
and it was a writing job. I loved writing the same as you. I've always loved to write. I have so many very dramatic journals, (laughs) you know, uh, lots of, you know, pen and ink, um, like drawings and yeah, I was very moody. And, uh, of course, so then became a content creator, very natural pipeline, loved to write, found this job and it was writing for this DIY site, but I also got to make the things and there. So we got to pitch DIY projects and physically make them and have them recorded, whether it was with photos or video, like professionally, and then put that content out into the world and I came alive in a different way because it was a way where I could have this sort of corporate job, but I was working with my hands. I was creative. I had to come up with ideas. It was a team of all women, mm-hmm. um, save for our boss's boss, which, you know, common, uh, common issue, <laughs> but for the few, it was a, it felt like I was there for so much longer than I was mm-hmm. because I lived so much life, um, creatively in those, what, I think it was nine months that I was there. And I would love to hear your perspective. Cause you weren't on the actual physical making piece, but you mm-hmm. were very much involved in the content and the strategy Um, Mm -hmm. so I'd love to know like what that was like for you. Yeah. You know, uh, taking that job, I think, which shout out Carmen, um, who was a friend of mine who came from the company I had, we had previously left. Um, this job was just a right fit because it felt like a nice bridge. I was brought on as a marketing director to support this like revamp of this DIY site, um, which fun fact, uh, my DIY show, which was called Girl Get Your Life, is still airing on Air Canada. Stop. If you take a flight, you can go to the Makeful channel and I, you're, I'm deceased. I'm my soul <laughs> yeah. has left my body. What? Yeah. Someone told me that a while ago and then they recorded them watching my show on Air Canada. So <laughs> my, my jaw is on the floor. I yeah. cannot, cause I remember recording girl, get your life. I remember set decking girl, get mm-hmm. your life. I remember prepping the projects for girl, yeah. get your life. Oh man. Wow. Wow. Those must be on YouTube somewhere. They still are. They, the, the, all the YouTube channels exist because it's in my portfolio, obviously, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, but it's, but apparently because it's a syndicate, like a Canadian network, it's a mm. syndicate, right? So yeah. they all air, which I find <gasps> hilarious. Oh, hilarious. God, work lives on in Canada. Uh-huh. Oh, Canada. In, in the air. In the air. In Canada air. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Mind mm-hmm. blown. The that is fact. so funny. Uh-huh. The funnest of fun facts. <laughs> so one thing I do want to acknowledge about that job, and I'm curious your experience, I definitely had... I loved working with a team of all women and Mm -hmm. 
there was an underlying pressure to prove ourselves Mm -hmm. because we were women and almost, I mean, not almost for no other reason than like, could we, I hate this expression, but like hang with the big boys. Like, could we hang with the other programming? And you and I talked about how we really didn't get support, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. do you, do looking back on that time, do you agree with that feeling or that assessment? I agree. And, and really just because women and non-binary folk are constantly having to prove themselves to their counterparts, which is usually like a cis hetero male, right? Mm -hmm. And the context is always around how could you have the foresight to present such perspective when your voice isn't heard enough. Mm. And this, I feel it at any employer um, and any real environment where there's a hierarchical system, which is what we were in. And especially if it's cis hetero men who are at the top um, white cis hetero men at the top that I think we continue to experience this perspective that our lived experience is not valuable enough because it's not heard enough, right? And there's not mm-hmm. enough voices. And what I felt a lot in this, you know, um, department was a lot of proving that my experience and my perspective and even fact-based perspective yeah. is valuable. Um, and I think that the people who kind of ran our department had a hard time proving value for marketing spend, value for buy-in, value for cross-functional partnering. Like there wasn't a lot of that. Um, and I think that really comes down to the fact that there wasn't leadership that believed, like we were positioned to do DIY because we were women like that in and of itself is a whole thing. Right. So correct. Correct. And most of our team were women of color. I mean, I am Mm -hmm. white, but I am very cognizant of the fact that not only were we a team of women, but we were a team of mostly women of color. And there's, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, much that I don't understand about that lived experience. Mm. And however, it knew it. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, you know it in your bones. (sighs) What... Hmm. I'm trying to think of how to ask this in a way that is like incredibly mindful, but also if people who are listening have a hunch that they are in a position to amplify someone's voice, Hmm. who is someone who is marginalized or who has a different, but absolutely valid perspective, but doesn't necessarily know where to start. And I know that it's like, it's absolutely not anyone else's responsibility to like do that labor for white cis people. And yet I know that a lot of people just don't, they hold themselves back because they're like, I don't know what to do or where to start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what I, can understand from the prompting, right? Is that when you yourself are in a marginalized group, and that includes white, cis, hetero women, you're already still in your own group of there's only room for one, 
perspective, mm. right? And so I think it's overcoming that that's not necessarily always the case. It is the case in so many instances, but it's not always. And so if you can find advocacy within whatever hierarchical system that you're in, how can you bring someone along with you? Even if that someone along with you is someone who takes ownership of parts of your project or can be brought into a room to speak to facts that you can't speak on. I think it's when we decide that we're the only ones to do it. And if we aren't, then we're not looked at as um, as educated or as responsive to what the need of the business is or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I think if we can remove and detach that a little bit, we can make space for bringing people with us. I think the bringing people with us is that same thing of like room at the table bullshit. And I think that all of that, yes, is still real, but it's more so that like, if you don't bring them along, if you don't bring partners along, they're going to do it without you. And mm-hmm. why do you want to be without them? Um and it's, you know, I'm watching, you know, Jigsaw's company's basis was specifically geared towards femme identifying. And over time, that has shifted just based off my own value shifting. But I think there are so many companies who still f- are fixated on that concept because it is fixing a marginalized group. But every time you look at the board or the founders or the head ofs, it's still that white, white, cis, hetero experience. And so it's very hard to have belief and like you are trying to bring people with you because if yeah. you're trying to bring people with you, your board would look different. Your heads would look different. Your chiefs would look different. Yeah. Um, and I just think that there isn't a dynamic yet where that has shifted. So my my only like insight into that is that you have to be willing to make the space and take the risk to bring people with you. I love that. Yeah. And whatever that means to you, wherever you are, Mm -hmm. like you could be a CEO, you could be a founder, um, Mm -hmm. or you could be someone who has input in building a team that might be down the ladder, quote unquote. I -hmm. love this. Like, look to your community. Who can you bring with you? I love that Mm -hmm. so much. Let's talk about Jig Plus Saw, because as you said, it has shifted over the mm-hmm. years, I would love because you've you've been doing such incredible work. You do a lot of like experiences, which is mm. like just uh, I wish that I could just go to all of them. Um, <laughs> I'm jealous every time I see the videos mm. after. I would love to know what is Jig Plus saw now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a it's. Still, and it can be shifting, right? It can absolutely yeah. still be in this metamorphosis space. Yeah, you know, so Jigsaw's whole identity, and this is a very dated tagline, but the tagline was women who hustle. And my perception on that was if I could have people see that this is a collective of women who really want something for themselves, like you can do it here and you can do it with the resources that we have because our four pillars were PR, legal, finance, and marketing. So any one of those things you can find here in our community. Um, And then obviously it it changed over time because what originally was positioned as co-working became this incubator system, which is helping founders either launch and um, scale or really just grow what they're currently building over time. And obviously not having a physical space anymore has changed how we function. And so 
um, Jigsaw became this educational, informational platform that supported in either events or some sort of digital component. Um, now it really is how can we support the Jigsaw community as they are and not where they want to go? Because mm. where they want to go, we can serve at a later time but it's meeting them where they're at now. And so that will become more of an educational platform and really just about supporting connection um, and growth. And then we now have a sister agency that will actually support founders one-on-one. Um, and this this isn't anywhere yet. So I don't know when this is airing, but hopefully by then it's announced. But um, I love it. The, the sister agency is called the A-Team. And the whole goal of this is to be a supplement to whatever your business is. So if you need a marketing team, social team, brand team, strategy team, that's what the A-Team provides. Um, and then it really is just like, we wanted to be able to serve founders at any stage. And there are plenty of um, resources for founders who are in fundraising or are running into different series or AB and so on. And so there weren't enough resources that I found where people who just had a small business who weren't looking for a $10 million return, who really just want to like create something really beautiful for themselves and their lifestyle. Preacher choir. Resources to it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, that's where it stands today. There is big power in small business. I always say that like, you don't know the depth of connection that you will foster if you go into business for yourself. Like small business right. to me is that's where my heart is. And I've learned that more and more over the years of like, yes, there's such a a glamour to like raising 10 million, like a like series A, whatever. Like that's amazing. And absolutely people who want to go that route, like good yeah. job them. But there is this, irreplaceable emotional connection that happens when you are partnering human to human mm -hmm. that you can't really replicate when you go into mm -hmm. a big boardroom and, and are trying to pitch to raise $10 mm -hmm. million. It's just a completely different feeling, a completely different world. And I particularly want to call out what you said. I wrote it down that you want to meet people where they are instead of where mm -hmm. they want to go. Because what a cool concept and what an overlooked concept because so often we're sold things based on where we think we should be mm -hmm. instead of, wait, how do I set this foundation mm -hmm. for myself in the first place? How do I create something from the ground up, like from a level mm -hmm. one, pay attention mm -hmm. to setting myself up to be sustainable, to be hopefully profitable. There's so much in that idea of meeting you where you are. And it also is something that my therapist says to me, <laughs> <laughs> my mental health of like, mm -hmm. Kelsey, you've got to meet yourself where you are. I'm sorry. You can't wave a magic wand and read a book by Brene Brown and consider yourself healed. Right. right. <laughs> we wish, we wish, we wish. And it's a continual process of meeting ourselves where we are. Mm -hmm. So I know that you are mental health friendly. So mm -hmm. can we talk a bit about what that yeah. looks like? Mental health, being a founder, being in business mm -hmm. and demystifying it 
and celebrating um, mental health differences. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to tell like the backstory of like why I'm so open about mental health shit now. Yeah. Um, So in 2019, shuttered doors of Jigsaw, the physical space, and also just any offerings. We moved some things digital, but it was pretty much shuttered. I needed to re-strategize. I was in extreme debt from having, you know, employees. And also, as a side note, I did try to fundraise. And there's a whole other component about that that I think is really draining. And also what gave me the answers that I don't want to fundraise. Mm. Um, And so I needed to really recoup. So I ended up taking a corporate role to help sustain myself, get back on track. And as as life does, it calls you to do more because Mm. we can answer the, the, the call of, okay, we need to stabilize. Right. But ultimately it's temporary. And for so many of us creatives, that is just temporary. And we're not meant for, you know, this consistent life, this consistent way of existing because we're creative. So we're always trying to have different touch points in the world. And so I'm at that point pretty early on, but I knew that I needed to like stick it out and figure Mm. things out. And so by year three, I hit a breaking point and my therapist, we just agreed that it's been a year and our, my tools and my resources weren't enough. And so we needed to bring in uh, psychiatry. And so that was my journey. It was very anti-medication and just anti- anything I couldn't fix with my brain, didn't want it, you know? Mm. But meanwhile, like my brain wasn't able to do it on its own. And yeah. I was diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety. I was having panic attacks on calls. Like it just wasn't a conducive space. And, um, you know, and I do want to caveat a bit of a trigger warning talking about, you know, suicide and things of that nature. It's important context because I think without me acknowledging that's really what it was, I think can be very dismissive to a mental health experience, but that was where I was at and Mm. got on medication. And it was hard at first because I had never done anything like that before. And there were, I wouldn't have a lot of resources. My therapist and I, we weren't really connecting after a year. My psychiatrist wasn't great. And but I needed the medication, I needed to stabilize. And then over that year, I really just figured out what I need to do. And so that's where I'm kind of capping into is, you know, this excitement of relaunching Jigsaw and got a different psychiatrist to support with medication, got a different therapist to support me and where I'm at to get me out of, because what the, the, the concept of ending your life is not something that you want to do. It's just a choice that feels inevitable. Mm. And that was like a place that I just existed in. And then to get out of that and to have this mental clarity again, and to feel like it's all possible again, I didn't think that was, I was ever going to get there. I thought, and I remember saying one time in a one-on-one, I said, I'll be here for 15 years. I would never say that. But my mind said, you need to stabilize. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having gotten the resources that I needed, both in therapy and psychiatry, and being open and honest about what I was really experiencing and almost like this this life deficit, right? It just felt heavy. And 
me, someone said to me once that these little things that I thought were maybe signs were shouting. It was like signs of shouting that like, this isn't working. Yeah. And, and me being more accepting to the argument in my mind that like, we said we wanted stability, but what we actually want was just a break and we've had our break and now it's time to move forward and being okay with that decision and being Mm. okay to take the risk again. Yeah. God, thank you so much for Mm. that. I am just sitting, really taking it in. And I know that I won't be able to absorb the full depth and breadth of that. I'll probably be thinking about this for weeks. It's, it's so beautiful to hear topics like suicidal Mm. thoughts spoken about in such a normalized way. It's common. No one who experiences those thoughts is like those thoughts, they happen. And often, um, and I am not a doctor, like all the caveats, but often, um, so much of it has to do with things that are completely out of our control, like our chemistry and our body and Mm -hmm. even like internalized trauma and history that we don't even realize is in us. Um, and as someone who has been diagnosed with depression and anxiety myself, healing looks different for everybody, but we can't without access to stories of real people, mm-hmm. we are cutting ourselves off from potential paths to healing for ourselves. Yes. So thank you for sharing your mm-hmm. story. And for anyone out there who is experiencing any thoughts like this, I'm going to put some resources in the show notes um, and know that you are not alone. You are not crazy. You are not broken. And we need you. We want you here and we need to hear your story, whether you are healed, quote unquote, whether you're in the middle of healing, whether you're healing again. We need your story. So stick around to tell it. Definitely. Co-sign that. Well, I think that is a beautiful, beautiful place to wrap up. See, tell people where they can find you, where they can continue to hear your stories because you are so, so talented at telling them. I just want everyone to have you in their lives. Well, thank you, Kelsey. This was great. And also just a great way to share what I've been feeling, I think, you know, I've been in a quiet world for quite some time. So it's just Mm -hmm. nice to be able to tell someone about my life. So thank you for asking me. Um, Of course. Thank you for honoring me with hmm. your story. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you can follow along on Instagram. It's my full name, which God, why did I do that? Uh, (laughs) It's Christina D. DePazio. Um, And then Jig Plus Off. That's where all of the things will go down and all the announcements and good stuff to come. I love it. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes as well, you guys. Thank you again for being here. You guys, I know this one was, um, this was a good one. This There was a lot of juice in this one. So let me know, you know, what really resonated with you. Because I know that I wrote down so many things <laughs> during this conversation. Um, and just, yeah, just thank you again for being here, for being you and for blessing us with your story. Thank you, Kelsey. Appreciate it. 
All right, y'all know I'm about to ask you to subscribe to Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found us today. It truly helps podcasters pay their teams, find better guests, and give you good content. So if you want to hear more conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship, be sure to subscribe to Find Your Magic and leave us a review. Thanks for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.